Hi there. I'm Jean Godfrey June, and this is Megan O'Neill. And we are the beauty editors at Goop. And you're listening to Goop's podcast series, The Beauty Closet. We talk about all things beauty, clean, non-toxic beauty, skin care, hair care, body care, self-care. And we talk about the way we think about beauty, both as individuals and as a wider culture. This is a good one. I am really excited about this one today. We're talking to Kinga Lampert. She's the co-chair of the board of the Breast Cancer Research Foundation. It's just an incredible organization. It does exactly what it says, which is it only funds research, which there's something so exciting about that. Yeah, and breast cancer. Like, that is just... It's an epidemic, and it helping. is. But a lot of what she's got to say is actually really exciting news in terms of how how far we've come and how yeah, all the progress and treatment progress. And I just had no idea. I I sort of think of I hear breast cancer, and I it, you hear it, cancer, and yeah, you think you just death hear sentence, yeah, yeah. I mean, which is isn't right anymore. But I you know we have that whatever it's called negativity bias uh-huh. where you remember you know the you, horrible thing. Yeah, you always remember like oh one in eight women or whatever the whatever the statistic is, you remember the the bad one. A lot of what she had to say is stuff we need to know so that when we we aren't just walking into the doctor's office filled with fear every yeah. time. Because it is, you know, it is scary. It's scary to to contemplate. It's terrifying, yeah. And it's and certainly, you know, I think breast cancer is one of those diseases that that touches everyone. just about everyone. Yeah. You know, I've certainly had friends who had it and I've had, you know, I've had the extremes. I I had a a friend who had it who literally, you know, it was all she she had to have radiation and she's been fine for years ever since and it you know it wasn't nothing right. but it was very different from my friend who also got breast cancer but died of it and you know yeah. left three kids and you know yeah and it just sounds like there's so many more treatments and and they're they're really promising yeah kinga's a survivor herself and survived you know um she was very young when she got it and that's not an easy Two thing to go through yeah she's just such an incredible person she's a she's got she's a font of knowledge yeah she was very close friends with evelyn lauder who i certainly knew in my career gp knew in her career she's just one of the most dynamic women i've ever met and the breast cancer research foundation is to always to me it's an example whenever i would would go to any of those lunches w- just the the power and ability of one person to do something to make a difference you know evelyn was like the, i want i yeah. want more research on this and she just made it happen That's and huge. when we get to the interview with kinga we'll understand sort of how that research has made just a dramatic difference in people's survival rates. You know, it's changed the world. It's incredible. Let's get into it. So, Kinga, we are so honored and excited to have you here today. You're the co-chair of the Breast Cancer Research Foundation, and it's just an amazing organization that I've sort of been able to watch from the sidelines since its really early days. And so I'm super excited at where it is now. And what I'd love to know is just if you can tell us a little bit about the foundation and its mission, how it works, you know, what you all 
do there. Sure. Well, thank you so know. much for having me and for giving me the opportunity to spread the word about the BCRF. And the foundation was actually started uh, 25 years ago by Evelyn Lauder. She had a very, very singular mission for the BCRF, which was to raise money and invest it in the world's most promising research. Very targeted, pure and simple. She was after the cure. Mm -hmm. And today, BCRF is the largest private funder of breast cancer research in the world. Amazing. Uh, We give grants to 275 scientists, 14 countries all over the world. So it's it's really, really an extraordinary foundation. And BCRF has been involved in every single breakthrough discovery in the field of breast cancer in the last 25 years. And I'm sure we'll touch on more specifics <laughs> yeah. as we as we chat, but it's, it's really a powerhouse organization. I'm just so proud to be co-chairing the board of it. That's amazing. And what, yeah. what was your path to getting there? So, you know, with, with philanthropy, I always find that there is two paths. One is, you know, some being touched by a cause, something happens to you, to a loved one. And a second path could be that you meet somebody who inspires you. Mm. And for me, it was really both. I'm a breast cancer survivor myself. I was diagnosed with oh. breast cancer when I was 31 years old. Wow. I had uh, two babies at home. My son was two years old. My daughter was one. Wow. And it was a complete shock because we had no cancer whatsoever in the family. Yeah. And at such a young age, obviously, I wasn't monitored. I wasn't, yeah, you know, you're wasn't not checked. getting mammograms so, at 31. No, so complete shock. You know, and we knew Evelyn and Leonard Lauder socially in New York, and she really took me under her wing when I was going through treatments and helped me with doctors. And when I was starting to get back on my feet, she took me out to lunch and, uh, <laughs> and said, how about a deep dive? How about getting involved with, with a cause? And, and I said yes, and I was very, very honored she would ask me. Yeah. And, She's a very um, persuasive person. Very persuasive person. <laughs> Nobody says no to said no to Evelyn. That's yeah. for sure. Ultimate charm. Yeah, and um, and that's how that's how I found my way to to the BCRF. And I was, you know, very drawn again to to its very well defined mission and you know research and you know and in in the field of, of breast cancer also there's so many amazing pink organizations and and again I was. I was after after the cure and still am and that's that's what drives my commitment to the BCRF. Well the the thing that always struck me about there's a lunch once a year that that Evelyn organized for the BCRF that where it, they invite all of the researchers that they've given grants to that year and most of them come and they have Evelyn had them all get up on the stage together mm-hmm. and it's so powerful. You know, you can go to a lot of fundraising things and be inspired just seeing these. It, it makes you realize, you know, here are a bunch of humans that are trying to help a bunch of other humans. Yeah. And like, it's just, it's one of the most moving things when they That's stand right, up there. dedicating it, their entire lives and careers to, to cure breast cancer. And, and it's true because, you know, we're speaking in, in dollars, you know, we, you know, we, we, we gave out $63 million this year alone. To, to, to the grants. But, you know, when you actually see the physical representation of the money at work, it's it's pretty extraordinary. And, and like you said, we call them one by one on stage. It's sort of their moment to to shine and be recognized. And, and indeed, when everybody's standing on stage, you know, close to 200, 275 of them, and the room just sort of, you know, stands up and honors them and applauds, it's you just... You just feel that all of them together or one of them or a team of them is, is 
definitely going to yeah. find a cure for breast cancer. And it's, and it's, that's on such the a horizon, moment for sure. to see them all yeah. there. Yeah. I remember years ago, also, it was sort of one of the first times Evelyn announcing that they, they had decided to connect everyone with a with a website so that they could share their research early on, you know, before it was. And I just, you know, I was sitting with a breast cancer survivor and just that feeling of like, we're just going to push this through and figure out this disease. And it's... Well, I think um, what's so important to know also about the BCRF is exactly what you touched on is this spirit of collaboration and getting the researchers together and making sure nobody's working in their silos and working on mm -hmm. the same projects that, you know, either side of the earth, possibly. And in addition to the lunch, and actually the day before, BCRF organizes a day-long conference sort of symposium for the researchers and is moderated by some of the researchers. They have workshops, they, they speak, they exchange ideas. And, and I actually heard that, you know, amazing things came out of that particular meeting, just being able to connect and, and exchange ideas. Yeah. The thing we kind of want to most know from you and that when I first got to meet you and sort of started learning from you about BCRF is... You know, we all have sort of a negative bias when we hear when we hear negative information. We tend to really keep that in the back of our minds, and positive information doesn't stick so well. And I think when you know anything surrounding the word cancer, you tend to remember you know the worst possible scenarios and outcomes and that sort of thing. And what you've been telling me is all of the progress that's been made, and just some of those facts were blowing me away. And I I feel like <laughs> we want to know like what some of the what are some of the 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 big advances that you feel have been made and that that are things people don't know well, about thank you. breast cancer. Thank you for asking that because it's true that the numbers that are really out there that women hear and know, especially in October, is you know statistics such as you know one in eight women will be diagnosed with breast cancer in her lifetime. Every two minutes, a woman hears the words "you have breast cancer," and you know, and 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 it's a cause that everybody rallies around and it's and wants to help and and donate for. But progress is being made and. One incredibly powerful statistic is that death rates from breast cancer have dropped by 40% in Whoa. the last 25 years. So the way I see that number is almost half the women who are thriving survivors today would not maybe have made it 25 years ago when BCRF was founded. Yeah, that's amazing. So that's, that's an amazing statistic. And early stage breast cancer is... I would say, I think it's more than 95% curable today. Wow. Um, really? Which is, which is incredible. And, and by early stage, does that mean like stage one or is it that? It means breast cancer that hasn't metastasized. What, you know, what a lot of our budget is going towards now is research in metastatic breast cancer, cancer that can be treated but not cured today, mm -hmm. so women can live with metastatic disease and longer and longer, right. but it is not curable today. And, and that's that's really where, you know, what we're trying to solve right now. And in fact, when Evelyn started the BCRF, you know, there's four tenets, so to speak, to, to breast cancer. There is mm. prevention, diagnosis, treatment, and survivorship. And she really wanted to focus on diagnosis, being able to diagnose women as early as possible. Mm -hmm. Early detection saves lives, of course, and treatment, trying to find the cure. Right. And now more and more we're focusing on prevention as well. And in fact, BCRF is funding more than $10 million to better understand how lifestyle can prevent 
and lower the recurrence of, of breast cancer. Yeah, what what are some what are the most important lifestyle factors? That... Well, that's that's the question I knew we were going to get to. <laughs> yeah. The question that every woman and men, yeah. because breast cancer, by the way, also touches uh, men. touches men. You know what what can I do to lower my my risk? You know it's it's very hard to measure in studies lifestyle. And, and prevention because, you know, you have to follow such large groups of women mm-hmm. and think about everything that touches their skin, everything they consume, everything they drink, the air they breathe, and and it's it's very difficult to to draw conclusions. So, you know, there are very few medical, I mean, very few facts in in terms of lifestyle and prevention that are backed by research at this point. Yeah, I'm going to share with you six tips that so we good. have. Amazing. We love it. But you know, but generally there's a lot of advice that's out there about, you know, eating certain things, eating more veggies, eating less meat, eating blueberries, almonds. And I think the what what the research community says is that if it enhances your health overall, then absolutely those are good steps to take. But none of them specifically will prevent breast cancer. So the the six tips that research shows reduce your risk are uh, number one, pay attention to your body. Mm. Meaning that when breast cancer is diagnosed early, most of those breast cancers can be treated successfully. And the five-year survival rate for early-stage breast cancer, so stage zero to one, is mm-hmm. nearly 100%. The, the number wow. that I mentioned earlier you know, also encompasses a little bit later, for later wow. stages. So, you know, be in touch with your own body, know your body. You know, we, we can never repeat it enough that early detection saves lives. If there's anything suspicious, consult your doctor, talk about it, show it, don't wait. And what about where do mammograms fit in there? I mean, that it goes back and forth. People, you, you know, know, how um, many years? The stance of the BCRF is at, at forty. You know, again, back to the back to the early detection. There is no no two ways about it. And is there a stance about how many how, how often you should get it? Annually. 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 So that's still. Yeah. That's, okay, still that's, good the, to know. that's still the norm for sure. Okay. The second tip is to be physically active, which, you know, exercise doesn't have to be strenuous, but moderate activity like a brisk walk is sufficient. And what research shows that engaging in physical activity 30 minutes per day, five days a week has a very protective effect. And okay. this, and this again, minutes. this is not sort of general facts. This is actually backed by, by research. So that's, that's an important one to keep in mind, to remain active at least 30 minutes a day. Get your hair, um, heart rate going. Yeah. Third tip is to uh, watch your weight. It, is, it has been proved that being overweight is linked to higher risk of breast cancer, mm-hmm. and especially true after, after menopause. So, oh, you know, really? Mm-hmm. So being mindful of weight gain combined with exercise, you know, those are all somewhat general statements, but that's what we have right now. Yeah. And I know sometimes women are waiting for sort of a silver the bullet magic, and yeah. a magic formula and something they'll be able to eat or drink that will protect <laughs> them. But I realize that those tips are, are pretty general, but that's that's what research show again. General, um, but also 
uh, very doable. Oh, they're not. They're true. not like you know. You need to be on this particular exercise yeah. machine, or you know. No, <laughs> that's right. Yeah. Um, and Thirty again, minutes of walking. Thirty minutes of walking a day is protective against yeah. breast cancer or recurrence if, if a woman has already had it. The fourth tip is to reduce alcohol use, and I know that's been in the news recently, mm-hmm. and that's been sort of picked up on uh, in the press. And the suggestion by the doctors is no more than one drink per day on average for women. And the more alcohol that is consumed consistently, the greater the risk of breast cancer. So that, again, is research, research-based, research so something to, to definitely keep in mind. And that's, I mean, I heard, and maybe this was back in the day so that they've, they've changed it, but I mean, I remember hearing that, you know, you should have one drink a week, which I was just like, how is that going to happen? <laughs> well, I know that often, actually, mm-hmm. after, there was, I think, a big New York Times article last year about it, and um, we had several symposiums. A lot of our luncheons, actually, the fundraiser for, fundraisers for the BCRF has a symposium component where, you know, our researchers share their findings with, with our donors. And, and after that article, there were so many questions about the alcohol use and how much yeah. was too much and how and which you know, alcohol and which alcohol <laughs> or alcohol wine I mean you know there's also that other school of thought that benefits wine too. is protective indeed so oh. uh, currently is no more than one drink per day per day that seems generous yeah like it's certainly better than once a week you don't yeah. have to drink one <laughs> yeah, drink of course yeah. Yeah. but if you were to you know that's where you would want it and then going down the list again of tips to reduce your risk avoid hormone replacement therapy and that's like another completely avoid well the hormone replacement therapy increases the risk for developing breast cancer in particular the formulations that include progesterone so some women, of course, you know, I think that's a conversation for each woman to have with her doctor when the time comes to consider it. You know, when benefits outweigh the risk, obviously it's it's worth it. But but it has been shown indeed that it's best to use those therapies for as short a period as possible and discuss alternatives with uh, with your doctor if possible. So okay, that's that's, that's another one we often get asked about after after symposiums and Q and A's and. That's yeah. Um, yeah, that's that's where we stand. And the last one that's been also shown to be protective is to breastfeed. And uh, and if you have children and if you are able to do so, experts uh, recommend breastfeeding exclusively for the first six months and up to one year or longer if desired by by the mom. Any amount really of, of breastfeeding is, is protective against breast cancer. It's, it's just so incredibly hard really to, when you think about it to, you know, to do these studies when, you know, you follow young moms who are breastfeeding and you, you have to follow them, yeah. you know, for for decades to know who, who gets and people are diagnosed down the line and, and yeah. how long did they actually how breastfeed accurate. and how accurate did they, you know, it's uh, prevention is a is a is a tricky field to to have conclusions on for sure. What about smoking? I know we talked about drinking. I mean, I would imagine. You know, smoking is not on the on the list that mm-hmm. uh, that I know has been you know has come from the the BCRF researchers. But I would say that falls in the category of what we discussed in the beginning. That it is obvious that it's beneficial to your overall health not not to smoke, just yeah. like it is to eat you know more. Vegetable-based and, you know, not eat fried meats. and (laughs) So I think smoking definitely falls in that category. So what specific advances have come out of the research lately? 
Well, as I mentioned in the beginning, every significant breakthrough in the field of breast cancer and progress towards a cure has come out of research supported by BCRF and drugs like Herceptin or even the discovery of the BRCA1 and 2 genes, which everybody has heard about. Yeah, for sure. Those were actually discovered by one of our longtime and most esteemed grantees, Dr. Marie-Claire King. Wow, wow. So those are, you know, examples that, that people would know about. But one very recent uh, discovery uh, is called the Oncotype DX, which is a diagnostic tool where, you know, so far when a woman was diagnosed with breast cancer, if her tumor was a certain size and if, you know, if she met certain criteria, it was chemotherapy for, you know, for for everyone. And now this tool is able to look at the actual biology of the tumor and determine if a woman's going to be better off with the chemotherapy or not. And it's not a black or white answer, it's percentages. And it gives, what what I think is so important about it is that it gives power to the patient to make this to make decisions about her treatment that is not just you know feeling powerless right. and and getting the chemo from you know from from your doctor now they can actually predict and say you know 70% you're going to do just fine without the chemotherapy and a woman can decide you know depending on your age depending on yeah. your health you know maybe 70% is is good enough for me or somebody healthy and younger might say you know what I want it to be as close to 100 as possible and I'll, I'll take the chemo, you know. So, that's amazing. So that's, that's, that was a very big recent development. Wow. And is that a blood test or are they biopsying the No, it's a, it's, it's a you know, diagnostic d- device, basically, where they, oh. where they look at, the, at wow. the tumor. Yeah. That's incredible. And does it, is it apply to all stages of breast cancer or is it more early detection kind of? I believe it's all stages of breast cancer. Yes, because they, wow. they just, you know, as, you know, once a tumor has formed, that's, 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 that's what, what they look at. Wow. And what's sort of the next level of what's in the pipeline that's incredibly exciting is also something called liquid biopsies, mm. which several what's groups that? of our researchers are working on right now, which is basically, it will be a blood test that can detect breast cancer in the blood, you know, way before, I, I don't know if, if it's months or years bef- before for a tumor would ever even form. And the thought is that it would become part of Just your regular, regular checkup. Check. Oh my exactly. God. Wow. Wait, and there'd be no mammograms? That would exactly that's that's the whole that's exactly the whole idea to take away the you know the the you know the discomfort the pain of the mammograms but also the the wait time of you know if a mammogram shows something suspicious and you have to go for a biopsy and waiting for those results and you know this is a blood test that in real time will be able to to detect the wow. disease in the bloodstream. I wonder so. when they would start giving that to people, like yeah. as a kid or like well, that's, 20s? That's, that's, you know, that's a good question. And that, that um, I'm not exactly sure what, what the answer to that is. You know, I, I mean, women get diagnosed with breast cancer very young. I mean, I'm, I'm an example of that. So, and your question actually reminds me of, of another topic, which is somewhat linked to it, which is, which we haven't touched on yet, which is uh, <laughs> genetics, right? Mm-hmm. Yes. With the BRCA1 and 2 uh, gene, obviously women, that's, a, that's another way for women to get control of their health. If they choose to be tested and they, if they have that mutation, they can make decisions about possibly a prophylactic mastectomy, about yeah. protecting themselves against the disease. And, but also then the question is about their children, right? At what age do you, do you test a child right. if the mother has a, a mutation and the BRCA mutation or, yeah. or many others that have been discovered since, you know, do you, you know, would you want your teenage daughter to have the test knowing that not much can be done 
about it until you know, you're older. Until she's older. older yeah. And that's why, you know, in my opinion, it's so, so important in an era now where these genetic tests are so readily available to, you know, to carry out these genetic testings in with a genetic counselor and somebody who can explain to the, you the, the ramifications, the process, you know, for yourself, for your family, for, you know, if there is indeed a mutation that's been discovered. Black women are 20 to 40 percent more likely to die from breast cancer, even though the rate of black women and white women getting it is the same. Are there steps being taken to address the disparity there? But what we found is that black women do get diagnosed before their counterparts, before the age of 40, and with a more um, aggressive type of breast cancer oftentimes. And there is also the issue of disparity in terms of access to care. Mm -hmm. And this is definitely something we are working on. We have teams of researchers who are trying to, to, to understand why you know black women get diagnosed with these more aggressive kinds of cancers and also why is there such disparity and working also on closing the gap in terms of access to care and and all of this again will be achieved thanks to thanks to research and i'm sure bcrf will help make uh, great strides in that in that area as well good we, we've sort of touched that there are many different kinds of breast cancer and is there do we know how common the like is the you know people talk about the very um, the the type you talked about being almost a hundred percent curable, the early stages. How common is that versus you know a really deadly kind that that you know is still still out there? Like I, I remember having a a friend who was diagnosed and she was diagnosed with a not very aggressive you know one of the like before stage one kind of cancers and uh, a friend who was talking her through it was like this. You wouldn't even want to call this cancer. It's not the same disease. And and so I wanted to know how how common when someone says you have breast cancer. Well, <laughs> what's actually interesting to your question is that one of the discoveries that you know our researchers made over the years is that breast cancer is not just one disease. It's several diseases under the same umbrella and with the same name, but each one of them has you know different prognosis, diagnosis, treatment. And that's why, you know, thanks to the research, the being able to discover drugs that are targeted to those specific different kinds of breast cancers have been an incredible part of, of the breakthroughs that BCRF has, has led, including the, the drug Herceptin that I mentioned earlier. But this is this is the, the types of cancer. In addition to that, there is staging of breast cancers, yeah. which of course the earlier you detect any category of breast cancer, the greater your chances of being cured. And, mm. and as we discussed earlier, you know, the, the type of cancer that is not, well, breast cancer that's not curable today is metastatic breast cancer. Once it's left its primary site and has traveled to organs Somewhere or bones, mm. and right now we have treatments for metastatic breast cancer, but no cure. Treatments so that people, you were saying, can live with it that's more right. comfortably. And, you know, sometimes people think about a cure being, you know, a pill or a vaccine or, you know, something you can take to cure breast cancer. But in my view, you know, if if one day women can live with breast cancer and it doesn't take their lives, if it becomes almost a chronic disease, that could be viewed as a kind of a cure as well. So, I mean, of course, the, you know, the ultimate goal is to eradicate breast cancer completely, know how to 
prevented if, God forbid, a woman is diagnosed, to be able to diagnose it early and, you know, and just get rid of it. But, but you know, turning it into a chronic illness is, is a form of a cure. Yeah, I mean, I think of sort of where HIV, you know, mm-hmm. some people are today. You personally, King are into clean beauty, which at Goop, we are, are, are very much into that. How did you get into it? And did you change other like cleaning stuff and other things too. You know, it's interesting because I, I, I'm not a big beauty junkie. I'm not the kind of person who, you know, buys lots of makeup and products and creams and wants to try everything. And I actually, you know, I'm European and I, I really love women who age gracefully. And, and I, I think women are so beautiful when in their, you know, 50s, 60s, 70s, they show a little bit of a sign of, of aging and, For sure, you yeah. know, a few wrinkles because they laughed a lot in their uh-huh. life or, you know, whatever, yeah. you know, whatever life has, has brought to them. And, and I think that's very, very beautiful in a woman. And so I, I'm, I was never one to really, you know, run around and look for, for things that will, you know, burn my skin and, yeah, whatever, exactly. and create, you know, miracle remedies. So my regimen was pretty simple to begin with. And a few years ago, I was actually diagnosed with a, with an allergy to a very specific ingredient called propyl glycol. Oh, yeah. You heard of it? Oh, definitely. So I never had any allergies in my life, not food allergies, not cosmetics allergies. And I started developing these, you know, eczema rashes on my face and could not figure out what it was. And a friend said, you know, go get patch tested. Yeah. And so I went and they they injected little doses of many different ingredients and, and products and just to see what would be, you know, the culprit. And sure enough, after 48 hours with this grid on my back, I oh. came back and the little window that had the propylene glycol was highly inflamed. And then I started looking at it and it was in my toothpaste and in my foundation and in my makeup remover. And I said, why now? I mean, I was diagnosed with this allergy in my 40s. And and she said, you know, think of it a little bit like, you know, this friend that you have your whole life and, you know, you hang out with them and you don't really like them, but they're there. (laughs) So, you you know, they're part of your life. And. And then one day you just have a big blow up and you just don't want to see them ever again, you know, you you have a fight and and it's over, you know. And she said, it's probably like that. Probably your body just never liked this particular ingredient and maybe your immune system was down when, you know, when you had that first reaction. And and now, you know, you cannot ever see propylene glycol again. And it's in so much conventional skincare and makeup. And I really, from that moment on, you know, I mean, I literally went from, you know, having a limited beauty routine to actually only using, you know, natural toothpaste and, you know, coconut oil on my face for every it's use so for good. makeup remover, for moisturizer. Yeah. <laughs> and then I decided, okay, you know, what the outbreak sort of went away a little bit. I decided, let me see if there is maybe one step beyond that that's still, you know, safe for still, me, but yeah. not, you know, not just sort of a coconut oil. And uh, and that's when I discovered the world of green beauty. Oh, so good. Mm-hmm. We certainly are super into that at Goop. And yeah, propylene glycol like I'm always like where's the luxury in that yeah. like putting antifreeze on your skin yeah. doesn't seem Not like so you know, there's, it, it, now that there are there, I feel like companies have developed so many incredible alternatives it's like why why use that, that yeah. like and then when you read also that you know your skin is your biggest organ mm-hmm. that's what I always think about that everything that touches my skin my body my face Just gets absorbed it and goes 
inside, you know, inside my body, just that, that imagery. It makes you think. Yeah, it makes you think. And especially if there is alternatives. And again, you know, every, every woman is, you know, very individual with her beauty regime and what results you want. You know, I'm not looking for sort of miracle creams. I'm just looking for, you know, high performing moisturizers and, you know, a nice foundation and, you know, basic makeup and, you know. It's there. I mean, it's, that's the great thing about clean beauty is this I like I love the ingenuity like having watched it grow it's Mm -hmm. just like there's some really really good stuff but it is tempting I have to say I don't know how how you guys are but you know occasionally there is you know a cream or brand that comes out and everybody's using it and everybody's swearing by it and then you know I look at the back of the box and and I just just can't can't even read the ingredients and I know they're toxic and horrible yeah. but there's that temptation like oh, maybe maybe a, maybe a little bit just around the eyes you yeah. know just, just you know maybe a little won't hurt for just a few months but there's there's still that in the you know in clean beauty and it's still it's as exciting and you want to get on the bandwagon and yeah. you can now tell us we want to know how can we get involved in the breast cancer research fund well, we have a wonderful website, first of all, bcrf.org, which really, you know, explains so much about the research that we support. We have amazing blogs that talk about very specific research projects or progress that's being made. We have an incredible tab, which I actually go to myself quite often, which is called Meet Our Researchers. Oh, and wow. you, can, uh, you can search through all 275 of our grantees by area of expertise, by name, by institution, by country. And and it's really, really fascinating to see what these amazing men and women are working on to, yeah. to cure breast cancer. That's 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 one place I like to visit. And um, if somebody tells me they're interested in prevention, I send them the link to to the team of researchers who, who work on that. And it's, uh, it's such a great way to, to engage our, our donors. Besides the, the, the website, we know we have events in many geographic locations around the country, New York, Boston, Palm Beach, the Hamptons, Los Angeles, Miami now we have two events. And, you know, as I mentioned earlier, a lot of our daytime events, the luncheons, have a symposium component to it where researchers speak and, you know, interview one another and just sort of share the progress and the research with, with our donors. And we often have a Q&A portion as well where women can, you know, ask what's on their mind. And say, you know, I know when when people either are diagnosed themselves or have a friend who's diagnosed or a family member, you know, the urge is to immediately get on the Internet and, and, you know, Dr. Google, you know, try to figure everything. And is is there a place when you go to to the BCRF website that where someone can sort of research specific kinds of cancer or how, you know, sort of learn more about something personal to them? Definitely, you know both, you know, treatments and also, you know, clinical trials that are taking place. Oh, wow. Um, And in fact, you know, for me, I've always wanted BCRF to be the first organization without even going to Dr. Google. (laughs) You you would immediately (laughs) go to bcrf.org and know that that's where you will find the most, you know, up-to-date, relevant, cutting-edge information about where research is and as well as treatments and and an opportunity to, to give back to the cause. And that's, you know, that's such an interesting thing about BCRF is that in the scientific and research community, BCRF is the gold standard. I mean, there is no doctor or researcher in this field who would not have heard of the BCRF, yet it's not 
a household name because, you know, again, our mission is to raise the funds and support the research. We don't really do, you know, community you know, walks or, you know, uh, programs like that where you can really sort of put your name mm-hmm. um, out there and, and, and people recognize it. So, you know, a, a very big task that, you know, I think I have as, as co-chairman of this board is to continue spreading the word about BCRF. One idea I I have, you know, had known a couple of people who've had breast cancer and I don't know if you're familiar with Caring Bridge. It's like a a website that you can, if someone's going through a treatment and they don't want to ha- have to keep repeating to everyone what's what the status is of their 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 treatment and everything, you can kind of put information out to your community on this site. And people are always saying, what can I do? Where can I send food? Where can I, you know, that kind of thing. And one person had the BCRF website for, for donating. You know, it's like, if you want to help this person, oh, cool. you know, donate to research and like that well, that is so great to hear and actually back to the website we also have many ideas of opportunities of people to be able to fundraise and spread the word about re- the importance of research and the strides that we've made thanks to research in their communities so whether it's you know lemonade stands of people <laughs> who you know who decide to you know walk across the country or bike across the country and and have their friends uh, donate towards the BCRF there is there is a whole great section of of sort of ideas that would imp- inspire people to to spread the word as well that That's is great because it's just i think people feel so helpless when someone they know you That's know right. it's um, you know they want to they want to help and they don't know how and they should go to bcrf yeah the site is good it's very easy thank you and colorful what advice would you give a woman who was diagnosed with breast cancer? You know, when you're faced with a breast cancer diagnosis, the first feeling you have is a complete loss of control. And my advice is to take an active role in your care and learn as much as as much as possible and as much as you can. And there's this quote from Evelyn Lauder that I've always loved, which is, knowledge is power. Mm. And uh, educating yourself on your options and becoming a part of the process will really help you gain control over what's what's happening. It's just such a shock at any age, at any stage in your life. And I feel that, you know, that... Empowering yourself, you know, educating yourself will really help the help the process and make you feel like you're you're in control of of what's happening during your fight. Yeah. Well, when I think about all the knowledge that she's made happen <laughs> over the years by you know raising all these funds that then go to this research that then result in something like Herceptin, it's pretty right. incredible. Okay, that was amazing. That w- I'm like really surprised by some of the things she said. Yeah, I didn't realize that sort of things were as good as they yeah, are. Yeah, I had no idea. You know, I I will it made I definitely want to go get a mammogram. It's mm, been yeah. more than a year and I am over 40 for sure. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and I and I wondered about that because there were, you know, there's there's been a lot of back and forth about how uh-huh. how often you should go and that kind of thing. But I also I love the idea that 
that someday there's going to be a blood test and no one will have to go for a mammogram because I you have not yeah. got one, but they are they are not fun. Yeah, that test that that what does it do? It detects a tumor before there's a tumor. Yeah, like, it's like, like the a real blood life test. Theranos. Yeah, it is <laughs> like the like, real life Theranos. That would I mean, it would that would be amazing, and it would it would just be something you could you know whenever you go for a checkup you yeah like make sure. But it but it would be it would have to get to everyone, and that always seems to be tricky with well that was a thing that you know we touched on which i thought was really you know it's it's not really the purview of the the breast cancer research foundation but the right. the fact that there's this incredible and i like that they're studying it this incredible disparity in survival rates yeah um, depending on your race yeah you know i I don't want to live in a society where that's the where case. Where only some people can get it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Which... And it's, yeah, and obviously, like like all the research that we were talking about, it's hard to pull out causation. Right. And, you know, there's so many factors, of, you know, in terms of access. Yeah. You know, could it could there be genetic things? You know, there's... Knowing you know, to get tested. There's so much. Lifestyle. Yeah. Everything. But the overall message is... Make it happen. Yeah. De- definitely get tested if you're the age that needs to go get a mammogram. Yeah. And as she said, know your body. It is interesting how much they know and then also just how much is still a mystery. Still a mystery. Like like that study or the theory, I don't even know if it's a study, mm-hmm. that if you, with what, with caloric restriction, you may prevent cancer. I mean, there's all kinds of, you know... Things, like things that. on that, and I've I've definitely heard that, and it didn't seem like they were willing to get behind that yet. Yeah, but it was interesting. I got to I've gotten to meet some of the the scientists, and there was this one that I sat next to recently at a lunch, Doctor Willits from he was I think he was the Harvard School of Health. I couldn't oh. get that, and he his studies all centered around lifestyle, huh. like diet, exercise, those kinds of factors, how they affected, you know, your risk for cancer. And I mean, the poor man, I like, I, it's a cliche about doctors anyway, that yeah. like, you know, somebody People gets them and corners them. them. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, tell me about this rash I have. But I literally like could not stop asking him questions. How could you not? Ugh. And I mean, the thing that, that was most clear what, from him that he just sort of repeated over and over was like the Mediterranean diet. Huh. Okay. <laughs> he said there's all, you know, and we, we talked about blue zones and we talked about yeah. all kinds of stuff, but he was like, you know, that like the, the basic things that, that Kinga was talking about, about, you know, exercise pretty much every day, right. but not, not that you need to, you know, go run a marathon right. every day, even just a brisk walk, just getting those things into your life and realizing that you're keeping yourself alive by doing them. Yeah. It's it makes you want to do them and they feel even better. Cause they it's already true. feel good. I did manage to get to yoga today oh. and it was such a, like I, we were so busy today and I, I should know. not have done it, but they're closing my yoga studio, Jiffa Mukti, that I love you, so much. You had to go. And I feel like you've been uh, more energetic all day. Definitely. just like happier. Yeah. It, like when you, I, for sure when you exercise. Something happens. It, it does give you some more aliveness. I was late today because I did TM meditation for <gasps> 20 minutes. So good. Yeah. You have gotten totally back into it. I, yeah. Because I, I really, it helps. Like I, it really helps. Like it's not a magic pill. It's really hard to do. And, yeah. And sometimes you really don't feel like doing it. And a minute seems like 20 minutes, but it does something. I have better, like 
when my boyfriend and I are together, then we do it because we make each other do it. They said to do it with people, too. They said it's, like, enhanced. Oh, really? Yep. Because I remember I thought that was interesting. Well, I can see that. Like Even the energy is the different. The energy is different. That that was a thing we were talking about in yoga today of how like, you know, part of being in a class instead of mm-hmm. doing uh-huh. it just by yourself, which I do a lot, is is the energy of the other people that you're giving something to them and they're giving something to you. I like that. So I think it was definitely like diet, I guess, you know, we can keep, well, maybe not gorging on a Sakara pop our Saqqara popcorn like we have been, but, you know, I don't know, more fruits and vegetables, more Mediterranean. More olive oil. And less drinking, it sounds like. Yeah. It sounds like we can have a drink once a day. Which, yeah. you know, Which is not so bad. I don't know. Yeah, yeah, I'm not like, oh my God, I must I don't need party one down. once a day. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I don't need one once a day either. <laughs> I, but I like when I'm with people, when I'm like, you know, having like a nice dinner. I oh like yeah, there's like nothing better. Even if you don't cocktail. like want it, it's just like a nice ritual. Definitely, it is. But I well, hope they don't discover that it's just like none ever. Yeah. Because <laughs> for a while, I like back in the day, I remember they were just like, if you really want to prevent breast cancer... One drink a week is probably Whoa. what you should do. And actually, Kinga was saying there, it, she was stuck between two researchers. Oh, yeah. And one of them was like, never. Right. You know, yeah. no, no alcohol ever. And the other researcher was like, well, and started oh, drinking a right. glass of wine. You got to live. Yeah. <laughs> you got to live. It's such a, yeah. You do have to live. That's important, too, because that's morale and well, like wanting and to be here. And it's life. Yeah. Like, you know, if you're not going to enjoy your life, well... You've wasted it. Yeah. So. Yeah. Got to keep that in mind. Definitely. But got to get a mammogram for sure. Got to keep exercising at least five times a week, she said. Yeah. Let's let's do it. We'll, we'll hold we'll, each other accountable. We will. Starting next week. Starting, well, yes. After. Uh, next week. Starting next week, yeah. <laughs> oh, so good. So on Goop, we've got our columns, Megan Tries It and Ask Jean, and we get a whole bunch of beauty questions. And we love answering them. So if anyone listening has a question they want us to answer, just send it over to Goop on Instagram or Facebook. It can be about makeup, hair, skincare, perfume, routines, order of products, techniques, anything. Georgia D. wants to know, what are the best products to help fade dark spots? Hmm. This, I mean, the one thing to know about dark spots is that they're very difficult to fade, and anything claiming to just get rid of them is not telling you the truth. Yeah. Yeah, you got to go to the dermatologist and get, like, a laser to really uh, to really make a difference. It, it, absolutely. Like, there's a lot of creams out there that are like, you know, will lessen the appearance of dark spots. And, I mean, you you would be trying for a very long time if you, were, if you had an actual dark spot that you were trying to get rid of. Yeah. You know, and not just fade or lessen the appearance of. You know, the, a laser is really the only thing for that. And the one thing not to do if you go to the dermatologist, dermatologists still will prescribe something called hydroquinone and it is incredibly toxic. It's one of the it's it's banned in every other I think you know civilized country except yeah. ours for its toxicity. And yet people, doctors give it to people all the time to get rid of dark spots. And you know you have to take it forever if you if you you know if you if you put it on and it gets rid of your dark spot you have to keep putting it right. on. So it's just it's just say no, fix. yeah, say no to hydroquinone. It's not worth it. But there, there are definitely things you can do to 
to like fake it, like brighten your skin, like exfoliating is amazing oh, yeah. for that and, and glycolic acid. Yeah, it's like, like amazing for that. I feel like the the Goop Glow Peel pads, yeah, definitely. Or like, there's a there, we have a glycolic serum from uh, Organic Pharmacy. Yeah, we have Goop Glow um, Instant Glow Exfoliator. That oh has some yeah, glycolic. Yeah, has some glycolic. Like but if you one. want the the power stuff, the I pad did, is intense. The pad yeah. is intense. I did it not last night, but the night before. No, I did it last night. Really? What am I talking about it? I did it last night. Yeah, I was like, I need my skin just like needs like wake up, yeah, get going, you know. And I don't really, I guess I have freckles, but they don't really bother me. Yeah, it's just sort of general unevenness so that yeah. you sort of brighten everything up. And but if you had like, you know, a dark spot, like an aging dark spot that someone you you know would get from either melasma or like really older older skin, you got to go to the derm, yeah. avoid, don't let them give you hydroquinone and go for the lasers because there are lasers that can help. And, yeah, and, definitely. And then again, sunscreen. Yeah. Is, yeah. Sunscreen is like mineral sunscreen. It helps obviously prevent dark spots, but then it's Prevents very- from darkening too. Yeah. So they don't, so say you, ha you see one forming, you know, you can, you know, do your exfoliating, use some glycolic acid and just make sure you're using SPF on that spot every day. And then if you do get a treatment, like say you go to the dermatologist, then it's doubly important because if you don't oh use the God. sunscreen, you're going to have to go back and get the same treatment again <laughs> for however many million dollars it costs. <laughs> Thanks again for joining us on The Beauty Closet. You can learn more about our new podcast series at goop.com slash beautyclosetpodcast. We hope you'll come back next Wednesday for our next chat. And in the meantime, just tap subscribe to keep up with new episodes. If you're liking what you're hearing, please rate and review the podcast. And share it with a friend. Talk soon.